Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. I think we could have stayed on that last song for a while longer. Hmm. Well, the Lord took me to kind of a a different emphasis today, and uh, it wasn't really until this morning uh, <clears throat> that I sort of got the fullness of what I think He was wanting to show me. Does God speak to some of you uh, like at odd times? Like you'll you'll be in prayer and you'll be seeking him, but he'll speak to you when you're grinding coffee or something like that. That's <laughs> that's that's a good time. He he likes that time. So I knew we were about out of coffee, so I had to go to the barn this morning in the frigid cold and grind some coffee so we'd have coffee this morning. And on the way out to the barn, I I get the the best revelation of the whole week. Uh, <clears throat> so I think what I am supposed to do is share that with you first and then sort of develop and finish with it again because it's it's important enough that that we need to get this so if you'd turn with me to hebrews and we're going to start in uh chapter 10 i believe as we're uh yeah, you can go ahead and turn that off. Uh, we're we're celebrating the incarnation, uh, or at least this is the season when most of the church celebrates the incarnation, and and that is the incredible mystery of the second person of the Trinity, the Son becoming human. And, you know, there, there's no way we can grasp all of the significance of that. We, we obviously can't grasp the possibility of it. I mean, how that happens. That pre-incarnate God uh, becomes human remains God, puts aside many aspects of his Godhood so that he can live as a man to be God with us. And, and so we, we focus a lot on the idea that 
God became man, Jesus became human, so that he could live the perfect life and be the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, paying the penalty for our sin, that we could be cleansed from our sins. And, and we're, we're cleansed from our sins as far as the east is from the west. Not as far as the north is from the south. Because the earth has a north pole and a south pole, and, and there's, there's a measurable distance between north and south, right? But there's no measurable difference between east and west. You can keep going east, and you'll never get to west. And you can keep going west, and you'll never get to east. So what he's saying is infinity. <laughs> That's how far our sins are away from us. Yeah, that I mean that that alone is is good stuff. But <clears throat> where uh, where I want to go with this, um, you'll have to forgive me if I'm a little. Um, disorganized this morning because a lot of things changed this morning. And <clears throat> the revelation uh, that I got, um, it deals with one of the more difficult verses to understand in the book of Hebrews. And that's saying something because there are a lot of difficult verses to understand in, in the book of Hebrews. It, it's a very deep book. So, so anyway, what, what the Lord was pointing me toward this week in looking at the Incarnation, we've, we've spent much, much time in our lives thinking about how Jesus became man to be the Lamb of God. But God is always multitasking. Jesus also had to become man so that he could become our high priest. And, and that's what a lot of the book of Hebrews deals with. Because it's, I mean, it's written to the Hebrew Christians, to the Jewish Christians. Who, who really had a grid for the whole Old Testament sacrificial system and the importance of the high priest. Because in, in that whole system, which, which was a type and a shadow of, of Jesus who, who was to come, there, there was that one day a year when the high priest got to go in to the Holy of Holies and connect with the presence of God so that the, the sins of the people could be paid for, uh, not removed, just paid for. So for a year, they, they would be okay. But, but there wasn't the removal like, like we have in, in the New Covenant. So... 
anyway, I, I've got to find this, this verse in, in chapter 10. It's, it's verse 20. Well, I'll start in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So verse 20 has always been kind of mysterious to me. Um, <clears throat> we enter by the new and living way that Jesus opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. That's how the New American Standard translates it. Now, we know that when Jesus died on the cross, that the curtain in the temple separating the holy place from the most holy place was, was ripped from top to bottom. And that symbolized what this verse is talking about. But what, what this verse is, is talking about is the dual nature of, of Jesus being fully God and fully man. In a sense, his, his body was, was a curtain because being fully God, he had access, direct access to all of God. Being human, he, he was part of humanity and, and, and we, we were like him. And by the death of his physical body, the, the curtain that was separating <laughs> the two was done away with. That's worth the price of admission. <laughs> I mean, that the picture of that that the writer of Hebrews is talking about, that is awesome. And that's exactly what he's talking about in that verse. His, his body was that curtain that, that physically represented that that separation, and in his death it was done away with. And, wow. <laughs> but there's more. 
there's more, and, and it relates to you and me. Because, see, all, all these amazing Old Testament truths that were a type and a shadow in the nation of Israel pointed to Jesus, were fulfilled in Jesus, but find their ultimate fulfillment in us, the church. So what could that possibly mean? And, and this is something that the Lord has spoken to me about a few times. And we, we really need to get this. If, if we want to be the revival that we want to see, then we need to get this truth. Because in, uh, <clears throat> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the meat of it first and then the illustration of it. Because what, what the Lord has said to me a number of times is that, you know, Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. We're supposed to be like him. He, he, he gave up himself gave up his life so that we might be saved. That, that is the God-ordained way that people enter the kingdom of heaven. It, it is still the way. People in Cheyenne, Wyoming, aren't going to open, or aren't going to come into the kingdom, until real, born-again human beings like you and me lay down our lives, become living sacrifices in much the same way that Jesus did so that they will find the way. We, we have to get that. It, it takes us, it takes the people of God dying to our flesh, becoming alive to the Spirit in order that life may be brought to or that pre-Christians might be brought into the kingdom. Uh, and and the illustration of that is Jesus' parable about the seeds of wheat. You know, un unless a seed die and be buried in the ground, it remains one seed. But if it dies and is buried in the ground, it will grow a harvest. It'll multiply. So, how, how does that truth about Jesus and the veil of his body relate to us? Well, I, some of you probably figured it out already by now. We, we are like Jesus. Jesus, being fully God, had access to heaven, 
to all of God, but he was human. So he, he had access to all of humanity. As those who are born again, regenerated, who lives in us? God. <laughs> the Holy Spirit dwells in the born-again believer. We have access to heaven. We are human. Our flesh is what stands in the way of us bringing life to people out there, right there. If we will pursue God to the degree that our flesh dies, then people out there will come into the kingdom. And this this is what happened with with those believers at, at Hernhut, Germany. They they got to the place with God that his life within them was more real than their flesh, than their human nature, their their old life. And and that is that's where we need to get. I can tell that we're not there yet <laughs> because none of us have uh, a dozen people following us here <laughs> every week because there's been so much of the life of God oozing out of us that we just can't help it. But that's what it can be like. and Because those those believers in Germany... You know, they, they started the modern missionary movement. And, and basically every great revival that has taken place on the earth traces its roots, uh, at least every great revival since the 1600s, traces its, its roots back to them. So God can do this. <laughs> he has done it. Yes, he is. <laughs> hmm. So what, what does it look like for us to lay down our life? Well, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 2. <laughs> We're just going to look at a few passages in Hebrews that talk about Jesus. Do, do, you, do you get what I'm saying? Are, are you laying hold of this? Okay. 
I mean, literally, this is some of the best stuff I've ever gotten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, the incarnation of Jesus as our great high priest. See, he, he is our, I mean, he remains our great high priest. It wasn't just that he was our high priest when he was on the earth, because he did function as the high priest. It, I mean, you, you can really get into this, uh, <clears throat> because, I, I mean, when, when we look at uh, <clears throat> all the things preceding Jesus' crucifixion, and, and resurrection, the high priest, uh, who was Caiaphas, I think, uh, at, at the time, disqualified himself before Jesus was crucified. He, he actually ripped his priestly garment, which, whew, he was done. He was no longer the high priest in God's eyes. Jesus became the high priest before he died. But his high priesthood, as, as we will learn, uh, is an eternal high priesthood. Because he lives to intercede for us that we will be like him, that we will be his many brothers, and, and we will do what he did. Uh, anyway, well, back to Hebrews chapter 2, starting in, in verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, us, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So he is a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make payment for our sins because he himself has suffered, he is able to help us who are being tempted. So that, that's the first picture of Jesus the high priest in the book of Hebrews. Uh, then we will skip over to Hebrews 4, uh, starting in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, which is the Israelites back in, in the wilderness. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. 
For we who have believed enter that rest. That's, that's important there. The good news came to us just as it did to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not united by faith by those who heard it. And, and what that really, uh, the way that Greek really uh, should be translated is they didn't come into agreement with it in faith. So they didn't lay hold of it. Because we, we can hear a truth like you have this morning. But if we don't unite that truth with faith in our hearts, it, it will not change us. And so, we, we need to lay hold of that truth that, that in, in a very real sense, you and I are, are the veil separating God from humanity. But if, if, we, if we rend the veil, <laughs> if we lay down our life, if we crucify the flesh and become more alive to God than we are to our old nature, then that veil can be done away with. And, and now, now let your faith take a leap, okay? Because what, what I'm talking about is not just a, a nice possibility. It is that, but it's more than that. It's the will of God. And, and it's the reason that Jesus remains our high priest. This is what he's interceding for us for. It's, it's not so we can live a little better life <laughs> with a little less sin. No, it's, it's that we would rend the veil separating God from humanity. Because it's up to us. I mean, it's up to God, but it's also up to us. We, we have to be at least willing to be made willing for this to happen. And 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 we we have to seek the Lord that that he would help us to attain to that. Because in 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 a very real sense this that truth is what it means for the kingdom to come. It doesn't come any other way. 
It, it comes through death. It, I mean, in Christ, it came through his death. For us, it, it's only going to come through our death. And I, I think soon I'll, I'll talk some more about what that actually looks like. But because we, we need to come to grips with what that actually looks like. But when we pray for the kingdom to come, that's what we're praying for. And and this, I mean, this is what Jesus was saying when, when he said, you know, if, if a man keeps his life, he'll he'll actually lose it. But if a man loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel, he will actually find it. That's what he's talking about. And and so, uh, and I love this message. I'm going to have to listen to it. This, this is one of those days when a lot of what I'm saying the first time I've heard it is when it comes out of my mouth. And I, I like that when that happens. Then I really know that it's not me because <laughs> I didn't figure it out. Okay, well, let's, let's, uh, let's go on a little bit further in chapter 4. Verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And, and it's, it's so important that we continue on in faith. And that we, that we continue to unite this truth that God is taking us somewhere. He's taking us to a new kind of life. And he, He's able. He, he wants to. And, and He wants people who are willing, at, at the very least willing to be made willing, and, and if we will continue to mix faith with that truth, which what that looks like is, is we believe that God is able and willing to do this in spite of where we are now, and we continue on in that faith, 
without focusing so much on our weakness that we really don't think he can even do it. Because that's what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness. <laughs> they, they didn't mix it with faith. <clears throat> they mixed it with doubt and unbelief. So they could not attain to what God had for them. Does this make sense? Yeah. We... So we, we can't be defeated about where we are. But we agree with God about his kingdom coming, not just in the city in an abstract sense, but in your heart and mine. In, in such a way that we become increasingly more alive to him and the things of his kingdom and, and increasing decreasingly concerned and interested with the things related to our natural life, our natural man. God can do this. He, he has done this. And like Billy said, he's doing it. <laughs> if we just won't short-circuit what he's doing by replacing agreement with disagreement or faith with lack of faith. Okay. On to chapter 5. Another verse in Hebrews that, that I've had difficulty coming to grips with um, is Hebrews 5, verse 8. Although he was a son, Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so <laughs> there's a lot there in those uh, those three short verses. There's there's a couple aspects of how Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Uh, <clears throat> the first is is one that we all know and understand. Uh, Luke, what happens to Garrett when you tell him? not to do something, and you tell him again, and maybe you tell him a third time and he still does it, what happens? He suffers. He, he gets a spanking. It's okay to say that here. You've got to be careful where you say that. that. That's one real way that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. I mean, he, he was a baby. A real human baby. <laughs> and he had to grow up. He he was two once. <laughs> right? <laughs> you learn a lot when you're two. <laughs> and three. 
That is the... Right, right. <laughs> of course. Uh, <clears throat> but there, there is another way that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Um, when he was tempted in the wilderness by the devil, after he'd fasted for 40 days, and presumably no food, no water for 40 days. So this is a supernatural fast. And he was weak, do you think? Physically, yeah. <laughs> he was weak. <laughs> he was hungry. And, and Satan tried to give him a shortcut way to try to fulfill the will of God. And he, he saw through all the temptations and, and, and he, he made it through without agreeing with the enemy, which is sin, without falling to temptation. He, he continually, day after day in his life, said no to the easy way because he was saying yes to the Father. And in the flesh he suffered. His obedience led to suffering. That's, that's a message uh, that needs to be brought back to the American church. That many times... When we obey God, it, it will not be the pleasant choice. It will not be the easy choice. It will be the hard choice. But <clears throat> what Jesus knew is what David learned was the connection with the Father uh, maintained or deepened through the obedience was of more value than whatever it was he suffered. The, the relationship maintained, the relationship deepened, the enjoyment of the presence of the Father through his obedience was of more value than whatever he was suffering or he had to suffer. And that's, that's also a truth that we need to identify with as we pursue becoming the kernel of wheat that dies in the ground so that a harvest may come up. I, I'm just not even going to get into Melchizedek because, <laughs> well, maybe I'll say just a couple things about it. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot that, that can be said about this. But 
the thing is, Melchizedek is only mentioned once in the Old Testament, well, twice in the Old Testament, once in Psalms, but once in the story with Abraham. And, and anyway, the, the important thing about that instance with Abraham is Abraham gives a tithe to this guy. And Abraham is the father of the faith. So Abraham is recognizing him as one who is above him. And, and he's a priest of the Most High and king of peace. So a, a lot of people have different ideas about who Melchizedek really was. Uh, from the text of Hebrews, we, we can determine that it wasn't Jesus. Because it says Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek, not that he was Melchizedek. But but the important thing here is that uh, because of the limited information we have about Melchizedek, we, we don't know his beginning or his end. We don't know where he came from. We And Jesus is like him because his priesthood was without beginning and it's without end. Jesus was a priest from the foundation of creation and and he will be, continue to be through eternity future <laughs> without end. And he is the great high priest for us. So although he may be somewhat like Melchizedek, there is no one like him for, for us. Okay. Chapter 7. Uh, starting in verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor. Does anybody else's version say mediator? <laughs> I think that's what New American Standard says. Uh, it's always a problem when I study using one version and then I try to teach out of another version. Um, <clears throat> anyway, Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. As we, I already talked about how the old covenant uh, was was just about type and shadow, uh, the high priest, the sacrifices, all all of that in the Old Testament, it it provided some value for the people of Israel, but it was pointing to something that would be greater. That being Jesus, and again Jesus is qualified to be the mediator of this covenant, the mediator between God and man, because he it was the prototypical God-man. So he is the mediator of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death 
from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now that is a verse to underline. Verse 25. <laughs> wow. He is able to save us to the uttermost. Uh, wow. That means completely. <laughs> to save us to fullness. And why? Because he always lives to intercede for us. He, see this understanding of Jesus as the high priest, it's, it's about his continuing work. His, his work as the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice of God, opened the way for us. But he not only opened the way, but he is there to continually help us along. To save us to fullness. That the kingdom of God may actually come and be revealed. And this is what creation is groaning for. For the sons of God to be revealed. For Jesus was the firstborn of many brothers. Creation is groaning for, for the brothers and sisters to be revealed. <laughs> who, who will have had that veil removed so that life just flows from heaven to humanity. That's the river. It, it is the river. So, consequently, <laughs> it's, it's an odd word to, to put in there, but it's there. Jesus is able to save us to fullness completeness since he always lives to intercede for us. And I'll continue for a couple more verses. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Wow. 
So let's just keep going. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. The true tabernacle, which is in heaven. That's, that's where Jesus is ministering. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, the tabernacle, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Can you say hallelujah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have a better covenant. And Jesus is the mediator of that covenant. And, well, uh, we're, we're going to skip over to Chapter 9, verse 11. And, and I, I have to explain a little problem that we have uh, in the translation of chapter 9 as, especially. And it has to do with the difference between... There, there's one Greek word that is translated covenant... And it's also translated uh, testament as in last will and testament. But in English, we've got three different words that mean those three different things. There's, there's covenant, there's testament, there's will. But usually, uh, like... Uh, <clears throat> When, when your son does a, a will for somebody, it probably still says last will and testament. Yeah. And we know that a will and testament isn't in effect until somebody dies, right? Therein is the problem that some of the translators have, have had in chapter 9 because... We have one Greek word and we have three English words. Uh, so anyway, you'll see this as, as we go through it. So chapter 9, starting in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. 
Hallelujah. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. There's power in his blood. Not so much the blood of goats and, and bulls. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them excuse me, from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. So that's really what, what it's talking about. Uh, the ESV uses the term will, <laughs> where most other older translations use covenant, and, and that creates confusion because we don't need a death for a, a covenant to be in effect. And because, in fact, that would, <laughs> that would release you from a covenant. But we do need a death for a will to be in effect, and that's what we're talking about here. That is the testament, which that testament is the new covenant, <laughs> which is essentially more like a will than it is an Old Testament covenant. And it is eternal because it was made, put into effect by the death of Jesus. Okay. Pardon? Um, I got it in my notes at home. <laughs> yeah. I... I thought about bringing that up, but I there's there's too much else here. <laughs> so let's skip on to verse 23. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And that, I mean, that's, that's one of the best pictures comparing the old covenant priesthood to Jesus' new covenant priesthood. Uh, the Old Testament, it was type and shadow, and it was representative of heavenly things. Jesus is there. <laughs> he is in heaven with God representing us. And that is great news. So, skipping on to chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, Instead of the true form of these realities, 
It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And we'll, we'll skip down to verse 8. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And that is a great aspect of our new covenant. That last verse there, verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time us, those who are being sanctified. Your sin, my sin, removed as far as the east is from the west. And how far is that? <laughs> How, how far is the sun? That's not as far as, as far as the east is from the west. That's true. <laughs> okay, we're going to finish here. This is our great conclusion. Verses 19 through 25 of chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart or a pure heart or an undivided heart, that's what that really means. <clears throat> In full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, or some translations say a guilty conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and he is able. 
Remember, he saves us to the uttermost, to, to fullness, that the kingdom of God may come. So we need to mix that with faith, not unbelief. <laughs> because he who promised is faithful. And then th this next part is important. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and I like some translations, but encouraging one another daily and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And th this is where we are. We see the day drawing near. So let us encourage each other daily. And and let us, I mean, what, what he says here, um, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. That, that means we need to think about it. We need to think about, how, how can I stir up Daniel or Daniel <laughs> to love and good deeds? What? Let, let me consider that. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then let me do it. And, and all the more <laughs> as we see the day approaching. Because we see the day approaching. And, and creation is groaning. It's, it's still groaning. And, and it's groaning more for the true sons of God to be revealed. And, and this is what Jesus is praying for. <laughs> for you and me, that, that we will get this and, and we'll, we'll actually mix it with faith and, and continue on. That the kingdom of God would come. And, and be released. But it takes death. And death is unpleasant. <laughs> do, do you want to... Here's, here's a few examples of what dying to self looks like. Okay? And somebody gave me these. I, I wasn't thinking about anyone in particular when... Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> when you're forgotten or neglected or purposely set aside and you don't sting and hurt with the insult, but your heart is happy being counted worthy to suffer for Christ, that's dying to self. When your good is evil, or spoken of as evil, when your wishes are crossed or your advice disregarded, your opinion ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, but take it all in patient, loving silence, that's dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently hear any disorder, any irregularity or annoyance, when you stand face to face with 
waste, folly, extravagance, spiritual insensibility, and endure it as Jesus endured. That's dying to self. When you are content with any food, any offering, any climate, any society, any clothing, any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. Because you know, God never asks you to do anything that's convenient. I, I mean, really. <laughs> when, when you can see your brother prosper and have his or her needs met and can honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy, nor question God while your needs are far greater and in desperate circumstances, that is dying to self. When you receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising up within your heart, that's dying to self. Are you dead yet? <laughs> In these last days, the Spirit would bring us to the cross. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, being made conformable unto his death. And that's, that's what will bring in the harvest. So are, are you thankful for Jesus' ministry as, as our high priest? Are, are you thankful that the veil that was his flesh was, was removed? That he could enter into eternal ministry on your behalf and mine? Huh. That's awesome. It's, it's amazing. Do, do you want to see the kingdom come through you and let Jesus save you to the uttermost, to fullness? Well, let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you so, so very much for the incarnation that you became God with us. I, I thank you for your high priestly ministry, not just your sacrifice, but your continuing high priestly ministry on our behalf. And, and I pray, Lord, for us as a body that we would mix this truth with faith, <clears throat> that we would see you as faithful and able to save us to fullness. And so understanding what this means, we say, let your kingdom 
come in us. Let your will be done in us. Lord, show us how to lay our lives down. Lead us into the crucified life that the veil of of our flesh may be torn for the sake of those who need you and that a harvest may come forth in this city, in this region for the glory of Jesus. And hear the groans of creation. And let the sons of God come forth and be revealed. In Jesus' name, amen.